Blog Talk Radio. Carol the Coach. Sex, love, and relationships. We talk about it here. Carol the Coach. Compassion with contemporary relevance. I am a psychotherapist. I can be your personal life coach and I can help you with your issues. There are no problems too small or too big. You can talk about anything. Speaker, columnist, radio TV host, and commentator. Carol the Coach brings messages of wellness and empowerment within reach of everyday people every day. Almost five years ago, I lost my soulmate in an accident. He was killed in a plane crash. Life just for me has seemed to stop. There are groups all over the city. I mean, I teach one. It is a specific way to start thinking so that you shift how you see the world, which then shifts your energy, and then you feel better and you actually see things differently. Carol the Coach, always available to at carolthecoach.com. Now I've got Russell on the line. I'm 47 years old. I'm a truck driver. I'm married. I have a wife in San Francisco. Okay. I haven't been home in six months. My thing is, I, I don't know if I have a sex addiction or what the problem is. Why do I want what I can't have? And as mm-hmm. soon as I can have it, I don't want it anymore. You're right on target when you say, I don't know if I have a sexual addiction. Well, guess what? Yes, you do. And you know what? That's my specialty, Russell. So you're at the right place. Continue. I meet women online and, and I'm in a different part of the country. I, I travel all 48 states, so I love sex. I hear self-esteem issues. You never felt good enough and you didn't feel like you were getting what you should have then. And you're re- Enacting that now. Do you want to change that about yourself? Yeah, that is the million dollar question, isn't it? And when you listen to this show, you know that it is so important to be ready to do the hard work to combat sexual addiction, COVID, relational issues. You have to be able to do it all. And we've got experts in the field that can help you figure out what it is that you need to create a stronger infrastructure in your own recovery and in your own emotions. Tonight, I'm interviewing Louise A. Stranger. She's a LCSW. She's a doctorate in education. And she's going to help us understand addiction in the family. She wants to help you all navigate challenges, emotions, and recovery. Uh, We all know that COVID-19 has seen some unprecedented rise in the use and misuse of alcohol. And so what do we do about that? Well, we have to be able to know how to refrain from the triggers, create connection, and stay safe in an unsafe world. And so I am so excited to be talking with her today because she really has studied this field and she has a lot of good information. And so I just want to welcome Dr. Louise to the show. Hi, Dr. Louise. How are you? Um, Hi, Carol. I'm so happy to be with you today. What an honor and what wonderful work you do. Oh, thank you so much. Well, it is true that I have the oldest podcast on sex addiction in the world, 
And you know as well as I do now, there are thousands of great podcasts. So I'm I'm glad I got in early, and it has been an honor for me to have our listeners come week after week to learn more information about addiction, about emotions. And tonight, you're going to be helping us with the challenges that face families. So let me ask you, how did you get into this field? Oh, thank you for asking. Well, I grew up on a fault line of trauma, um, having experienced in my own family uh, mental health uh, disorders, depression, anxiety, um, substance use disorders, death by suicide. And I was a uh, professor in a school of social work. And at that time, I had the privilege of uh, starting the first graduate seminar almost in the country in alcohol and other drugs. And um, I, at that time, I I knew there was something strange about my family. I just didn't know everything. Um, but I, along the way, I had the privilege of having some great mentors and found that my passion was helping people thrive, especially people that ex- have experienced substance use disorder themselves directly or who grew up in families beset with um, troubles. Well, of course, and so it's not only your educational academic background, but it's your life experience and your compassion for people that drew you to the topic of addiction. So tell me what you learned early on. Well, what I learned early on was really um, addiction or substance use disorder is is not a moral failing. It actually is a dis-ease, and if you can think of it as D-I-S-E-A-S-E, where what, depending, it doesn't matter what the substance is, whether it's alcohol, other drugs, or sex, shopping, gambling, it actually changes the neurochemistry of your brain. Sometimes there are um, genetic predispositions to the disease, other times it's because people have faced trauma or great adversity. Um, other times, um, and, and I've never met anybody, let me, let me stop, who said, gee, you know when I grow up, I'm going to have an addiction. doesn't work that way. Mm-hmm. And so, obviously, do you believe that there are things that families can do um, to work through some of these challenges and to take care of themselves along the way. So tell me a little bit about your philosophy on addiction and how that intertwines with mental health. What are your thoughts? Well, well, first of all, I think that anybody who's experienced a substance use or a disorder or any other kind of process addiction Probably alongside of that is anxiety and depression and some other things. People use substances to feel better. And I'm not going to go into which came first, the chicken or the egg, because that's something that you don't quite know until you titrate off of of the substances. What I do know in my experience is families do the best they can do with the resources they have, but then they can learn Mm -hmm. to do better. And Part of it is in the way they communicate, the way they set healthy boundaries, and the way they allow other people to grow. 
Oftentimes okay. people who grow up so that's okay. Sometimes people who yeah, grow so up often, in these families, they don't know where one starts and when another person ends. We 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 say that they are a mess. They will end each other's sentences. They will start. They may try to control other person's activities. They themselves may have faced some type of adversity, um, some type of trauma, albeit subjective. I don't feel good about myself or objective. They might have been witness to something or experienced um, a hurricane or I think everybody in the United States has been in a trauma bubble due to COVID-19, due to um, political unrest and to um, wars. Oh, no kidding. And you really have done some research and you know that COVID has greatly affected uh, people. I mean, there, your findings demonstrate that stress related to COVID was associated with higher drinking rates for women, more for women than men. Is that correct? Yes, exactly. In fact, I'm just writing an article right now, but in COVID, there was a 41% increase in drinking for women. Um, you know, there, there were also advertisements, um, mommy, don't whine, try wine. Um, you know, all of a sudden women uh, especially were hard hit because now not only were they asked to be caretakers, they were asked to mm-hmm. be teachers on Zoom and nobody knows how to do like Singapore math. They were isolated and, um, you know, in order to – and they're also um, – I think there's a very salient fact that you need to know. Before COVID, on an average day, a person made 35,000 decisions per day. That sounds like a lot. During COVID, it was reduced down to 25,000 decisions a day, but they were fraught with anxiety. Where do I go? Who do I see? Wear masks. What can my children do? How do I get toilet paper? How do I even get food? So everything was heightened. Um, And also, I guess, as you know, because you mentioned it in your online, connection is the key to recovery. And all of a sudden, we were all isolated. Oh, 100%. And, And not only isolated, but I really feel like, based on what you just said about alcohol sales, um, you know, just increasing because of COVID, um, believe it or not, so did porn use. As a matter of fact, Pornhub um, decreased the prices of their pornography by 45% to entice men and or women to utilize porn, and it worked. Their um, usage skyrocketed, and that was because they obviously provided this service to people, and then because they reduced the rate, people began to use it. And you know how compulsive this can get when it's like alcohol and drugs. When Mm -hmm. we want to go to or or medication to handle the stress, that's when people are going to look at porn. And and personally, I feel like that porn is very, very addictive, and they're, it, 
it really devalues the family and it devalues the relationship uh, if, if men and women are married. And so it then caused a lot of quiet problems. You know, uh, the other spouse, the family members didn't even know that this was a problem. They just knew that mom or dad were not available like they had been. Uh, it's just amazing the findings that demonstrate that stress related to COVID uh, is, is and was associated with increased substance abuse, increased sex abuse, increased, by sex abuse, I mean usage of sexual mm-hmm. um, tools. What do you think? Because truly, you are somebody who is also a CSAT. You're a certified sexual addiction therapist. You're an LCSW. You're a licensed clinical social worker. You have a doctor in education. How do you think it affected um, sex addiction or compulsive sexual problematic behavior? Well, I think that with more isolation, um, my guess is, and I don't have the stats for this, you would be better equipped for this, you know, just private masturbation. Um, Also, moving in together. I think a lot of sexual fantasies. um, But I think people increase their need to numb out and to self-soothe. And you have to think about, the use of all these addictions, whether it's looking at porn, whether it's masturbation, whether it's trying to have any other partners, um, an area that I'm really familiar with, which is is romance scams, is the I and that can fall sort of on the parameters of what we call uh-huh. um, sex addiction, but it's really not the. It's because you're so lonely. You are now giving away hundreds and hundreds and thousands and thousands of dollars to people that don't exist mm-hmm. because you think they're you. in love, getting love in all the wrong places. I have a probably a better expertise in in, in romance scams and grandparent scams, and um, then you know in terms of people were searching and people are searching. How do I self suit? How do I make myself feel better in a world that is absolutely positively frightening? Well, and, you know, you you mentioned that about people looking for love in all the wrong places. There is no doubt that the Internet has been such a blessing to us in so many ways, and yet the truth of the matter is it has allowed people to become exploited. I mean, that's what I was saying earlier when when you reduce the price of something and then you uh, create compulsivity, you know that you're going to make up what you lost in your reduced price. And it's also a time when people are looking for relationships. And what did you call it again? Uh, romance relationship addiction? No, romance, romance scam. So romance scam, it's very common, whether it's a male or a female, they may have lost a partner. They may be a widow, a widower. They may be divorced, and they're very, very lonely. I mean, sometimes it's just an unsolicited phone call that suddenly, like, paying attention to them, or it's a Zoom, and all of a sudden you're sending money to someone else. I had a um, a client that 
flee to Dubai to give money to a non-existent person. And, and families mm-hmm. will call and they will say, you know, mom or dad, but we want a therapist. It's not just a therapist that can work with them. You really have to know about scamming, about obsessive compulsive. You really have to know about addiction and grief and loss in order to work successfully. Um, with, no, I, with you know clients. what? The same experience, Louise. I had a client, a brilliant CEO, and she uh, got got an email um, from a very nice-looking man, man because they always are able to scam their victims. They don't know that they're tapping into somebody who made seven figures, but he sent her information about him. He sent a beautiful picture. He said all the right things. And when she read these things to me, I could hear that it was very rote. And I knew because I'm not lonely and because it wasn't me that they were looking to exploit, that this was probably a scam from all directions. And I I even said to her, you know, Eventually, he's going to ask for a little money, maybe two or $300 to purchase a laptop for his niece. And then he's going to ask for a little bit more money. He's going to get in an accident, and he's going to tell you that he has the money, but he can't access it because he's in the hospital. And it went on and on. And even though I told her her need for love and that dopamine hit, and, and again, that oxytocin, that chemical of connection, was stronger her reasoning and her ability and her intellect. And at $60,000, she decided to believe that it was a scam. And I was so thankful because she could have lost millions. Um, So you are seeing that COVID exacerbates that uh, and makes you feel lonelier, much Mm -hmm. more to vulnerability. And it's one of those scams that people are afraid, obviously, just like sex, just like alcohol, like just people are ashamed, you know, don't talk about that. Or my mom doesn't talk about that with me. I just learned that when her bank account was deleted. And so there's, there's some shame to it. And then there's anger with the corresponding relatives. But, and then they're powerless on how to help you know, um, and say and that, you know, like anything, when you have an ism, it requires a good invitation to change. Mm-hmm. And, and also well, and you know, an invitation to I mean, help. <laughs> yeah, what you're describing um, is like, it's like a drug. I mean, you said that today American families and the workforce is enormous based on the increasing numbers of folks who are looking for solace in mind-altering substances. And you're receiving phone call after phone call from a family member who's worried about their loved one. And it, it may be drugs. It may be alcohol. It may be sex. It may be gambling. It may be this romance um, trauma reenactment. So let me just ask you, what is your advice for them when you get those calls from family members saying, I'm really worried about my loved one? What do you say? 
Well, I always say there's always hope and there's always a solution. And what I invite them to do is, is talk to me or if I'm not the right person, I'm always happy to refer elsewhere. But let's take a look at what's going on. Let's, let's take a look at your family history. Let's look at what's, what's, well, why is your heart hurting about this person? And let's take a look also about what's special about this person because oftentimes with addiction, people are angry at the person um, and they can't separate out the person from the disease. And let's take a look and let's figure out um, maybe through invitational intervention or putting together a village and inviting someone to change but having a really good treatment solution um, that honors the person with love and compassion, not shame and blame. Okay. And, and so you've got a lot of educational background. You, you actually, you've got quite the bio. I mean, truly, as you indicated <laughs> earlier, you're no stranger to adversity. You've had a lot of family mm-hmm. issues yourself, anxiety, depression, substance misuse, death by suicide. And interestingly enough, one of the things that I read about you is that you have this innate ability to understand what can happen when there's an increase in substance abuse as well as mental health problems. You gave us some statistics that were from 2017 that in actuality, one in 12 American adults, that's about 18.7 million people, had a substance mm-hmm. use disorder. And one yeah. in five, which was about 46,000, I'm sorry, 46 million plus, had a mental illness. So that meant when you did the research, more than 8.5 million people were found to have both. And that makes them very susceptible to drug and alcohol abuse and erratic behavior and a lot of risk. Wouldn't you agree? Yes. And that's the whole thing. If you were in a room and we were in a room together, or we were in a great big auditorium, you turn around and you say one out of every three people has experienced some sort Mm -hmm. of adversity. So then how then do we create wellness? And what kinds of tools can we give everybody that so they can thrive and that they can learn how to be the man, the woman, the, the they that they're supposed to be. And, and set healthy boundaries and teach. And then also teach other people how to detach, how to say yes, how to, how to mean, how to actually say no, but me with a yes. And so does that mean that you also study attachment? Attachment theory? Of course. Bowlby was the king of attachment, so I don't think there's any of us that doesn't. I do like to speak, and like in my my latest book, which um, I wrote during COVID, and, you know, I don't get residuals, but it's been a bestseller. I try to not speak in social workies, psychologies, our professional jargon, Mm -hmm. because I realize that, gee, I wish I had had a guidebook. What do I say? What do I do? And how can I thrive? And can we keep it simple? 
Um, but Bowlby, of mm-hmm. course, you know, attachment theory, anxious attachment, anxious avoidance, obviously we attach in different ways. And when we're attaching in a different way, whether it's a result of growing up with adversity or being an adult child of an alcoholic or having some type of um, abuse. I I had a most touching um, phone call this past weekend. Um, Mm -hmm. And someone had gotten hold of my book and she wrote me a note and I, I actually... I, she thanked me for the book because she said that she really learned something about alcoholism or growing up in an alcoholic family. And she said that I'm really having a hard time. And I was told I was a child of rape. And I have a lot of trauma attached to that. And my heart just, I mean, it really broke for this young woman. Um, and, and we talked about how can I get some help that I need? What kind of way because I told her that she was a bright, you know, everybody is worthy of love. You don't get to choose how you come into this world. You get to choose the story you leave with. Mm-hmm. And Dr. Louise, now you referenced your, your latest book, and you, are you referencing addiction in the family, helping families navigate challenges, yes. emotions, and recovery? Uh-huh. Okay. And, yes, and that's a number one bestseller on Amazon. So they yes. can get it on Amazon. That's and, right. And, and then you also wrote this book, Falling Up, I like that, not falling down, but falling up, a <laughs> memoir of renewal. And so what's that book about? So that book is actually when I turned 65, I decided I wanted to. It is a collaboration of who I am. And it's my story. And um, there's some great, also helpful things for um, families. Um, as well, but there's a chapter, for example, I was a third generation widow, and it's uh, widows and how to be other fun things. It also talks about boundaries. It talks about resiliency. Um, it talks about how transformation can take place. Um, but again, it's based on personal story. Mm, I love that. I'm a storyteller myself, and um, I can really appreciate that. So, again, I'm not sure how you accomplished all this and decided to be a CSAT on top of it. That is not your typical certification. What drove you in that no. direction? I have to finish it all, so let's be honest. I, I'm, a one, I'm a one. And, and the thing is that, you know, it's a matter of, like, I do complicated mental health, substance abuse, chronic pain interventions all over the world. And I really love that. So I'm not going to be like Blue Tiger or other people. Um, I'm not going to be actually doing therapy per se, but what's really important that I do is when I work systemically with families, I need to know enough. And I don't think you get to know enough unless you study. And you need to know about partner behavior. You need to know about... Um, sex addiction. You need to know all those things and have a great familiarity with it so you can make the best referral possible. I mean, that and, and if there's one thing I can do really well, it's treatment planning and placement. Or I can attach you with who's the best in the country for you. Um, 
And so that's why I was really, really interested in that. I wasn't able to finish the course because I had um, a person, my husband got ill, and so I needed to step away, but I, I have all the material. So I'm not a full CSAP. So let's, let's be honest about that. Okay. Well, I know I reached out to the CSAC community to encourage them to contact me if they had a project they were working on or a philosophy mm. that they really share. And your name came up, and I was so glad to be able to talk with you. Now, i got to ask you a couple of things. I'm all about self-care. When I work with addicts and I work with partners, I'm always talking to them about taking good care of themselves with specialized intentional self-care. So what do you think, what would you advise families to do? What are possibly three, four, five things they can do to take care of themselves? Well, I think we even have more than that. So one of the things, I'll talk a little bit about the book again. At the end of every chapter, there's a self-help exercise from journaling, breathing, et cetera, et cetera. But what I love to do with people is if we had a calendar in front of us and it went obviously from Sunday to Saturday or Monday to Sunday, however you want to do it, and we map it out and we do three weeks, one, two, three, and then I invite people, and it's pretty well done, it's pretty easy to do, to take care of themselves three times a week spiritually, three times a week emotionally, and three times a week physically. And then when you're teaching, it's always fun to say the alphabet goes from A to Z and let people fill in what they do. Um, So that's one way of doing it. Obviously, if you want to change your brain and you want to change how you feel about the world, a gratitude practice, which was developed by Edmonds, it shows unequivocally that if I can practice a gratitude practice and tell you three things every day what I'm grateful for, and then in the evening I can do the same thing, it actually changes my brain chemistry. Um, Uh Stopping, walking, either you don't have to be a a runner, Um, journaling. I like to write blogs. So if you went to my website, you know there's a lot of blogs and that I send out blogs every week. But journaling is another way of uh, healing. Meditating um, is another way. But what you can do is um, screaming in the shower. Um, What are the five self-care things? But it's really, really um, important for you to take care of yourself. Well, and I'm going to stop you. Okay. You said something that I didn't quite understand. You mm-hmm. said that obviously you want it's so it's so gratifying when you talk about needs because I too believe that there are six basic needs and and they are emotional, physical, social, intellectual, spiritual, and purposeful. And you said mm-hmm. that you ask clients to come up with three things that they can do, if I'm not mistaken, on the emotional, physical, and spiritual level, right? So that's nine things a week. That ends up to be nine things a week. But they were talking about the alphabet. 
So explain that oh, process I to me. Okay. So say we're in a big classroom or say I asked you, what are you going to do to take care of yourself physically, emotionally, and consistent mm-hmm. with your back? And you're stuck. <laughs> I'm going to ask you as a teacher, oh, well, let's think about the alphabet. What could you do physically, spiritually for A? Just go through the alphabet. Usually by the time when you're doing a college class and you get to F, everybody mm-hmm. laughs because things, you know, fuck, you know. But that could be mm-hmm. in. And <laughs> so it's really like, well, what could I do? I can't think of anything because a lot of times you have to realize that self-care has been zilch. If you are in a family that's beset with alcohol, drugs, mental health, chronic pain, sex addiction, you probably haven't been taking care of yourself or you just lost your job. So the idea of even taking care of yourself, of being grateful, is completely foreign. So that's a way to get the conversation going. I love that. May I ask you something so that you can demonstrate this for our listeners? Sure. So I'm going to ask you to come up with three things you do um, spiritually, physically, and emotionally that start with C. With C. Oh, gosh. Um, I don't know about with C, C for, but let me. Is C <laughs> or can I just do three things? Because I, oh, I, I belong to a club and I play pickleball. That's what I do um, physically. Um, uh-huh. I care for someone else. I, I don't know that I could do all with C. I care for someone else. Um, um, I try to, I do a practice of compassion, which means if I was looking around the room um, and even someone that I was grumpy with, trying to give them love and, and focusing mm-hmm. on that. And also giving compassion to myself because oftentimes I'm my own worst um, critic. Mm-hmm. Um, and um, I don't think I can do cartwheels if I was thinking of something <laughs> physical. Um, I just said what I did today is I walked, I um, I cuddle because I have um, two golden doodles that I love and they, oh. they, they provide great joy. <laughs> They're the best, aren't so, they? <laughs> yeah. So when I meant the alphabet, I meant you could go wild with any letter. Um, not that you had to okay. get all three with one letter. But you did it. I want to remind you that you said yeah, for physical that you go to the club, that's a C, yeah. to play pickleball. My new favorite sport, I just had a surgery, and I was told to be off weeks. And my greatest, mm-hmm. my greatest sadness was that I couldn't play pickleball. And then you know what he had the nerve to do when I was six months, <laughs> six weeks into my recovery and ready to play again? He mm-hmm. didn't even see but over the phone he said, tell her she needs to wait another two weeks. Aww. And I, oh. Yeah, I said, wait a minute. Yeah. How can you do this? You know, why didn't you tell me eight weeks from the get-go? How can you add two uh-huh. weeks without even seeing me? I am. My my friends and my husband, they're pleading with me <laughs> to follow his directive, and I have. But, you know, one of the things we know is that 
only about 80% of all doctors' recommendations are followed because we're all so strong-willed. We want to do it our way. Mm-hmm. Now, that other C you said was compassion, that emotionally and maybe even spiritually, you mm-hmm. are very in touch with compassionate. And you just mentioned something that I talk to my clients about all the time, and that is when they are angry with somebody, when they feel that they've been treated poorly, if you can visualize having some sort of care or compassion for that person, they no longer have that hold over you, that anger hold, and in actuality, you produce better chemicals in your own body to move on and away from them. <laughs> yeah, which is which is so true because... If you hold resentment, resentment takes up rent mm-hmm. in your head and will take you out for any addiction. Yeah, it absolutely. And I want to remind my listeners that you can see Dr. Louise and obtain or read her blogs if you go to www.allaboutinterventions.com. Um that is her website, and then she has a YouTube channel, and that is all about interventions on YouTube. Uh, so, so tell me what they can expect when they go to both places to find out more about you. Well, they're going to find out a little bit about me. They're going to find out what I do. I love, I write on so many um, different topics, from habit stacking to romance scam to what it's like to grow up in an alcoholic family. Um, I try to be very timely and they're very short to aging. Um, the other thing that um, I have on my website is a lot, several little free booklets on failure, mm. you know, failure to launch. We haven't talked a lot about it, but this year has been astronomical and Parents calling, and we haven't even touched on digital addiction, but mothers calling their 22, 23, 24-year-old has been just locked in their room, and they won't get out. And all they do is they do digital addiction and they smoke pot, which is Mm -hmm. another issue, another time. Um, So a lot of how-to. If you go to my YouTube um, channel, you might see a few of my things that I've done for teaching, but last year, people don't know much about what it really an intervention is or how you invite someone to change. So I did a series of very, very short videos talking about different, um, how it's done and different specific populations. And so, I, you know, I think that people have found that useful. Um, also on my website, it talks a little bit about me. It talks about my teammates, the people that I feel I collaborate with, that I, when I do interventions, for example, I don't do them alone. I think that's arrogant and foolhardy. I always work with another team member um, to help really um, bring people. The other thing is I have a very complicated, I use a research methodology called portraiture which was developed by Dr. Sarah Lawrence, I put out of um, Harvard, which I've really coined and mapped, and, I, and I'm pretty famous for doing family mapping. 
which is not your ordinary genogram. And there's a little bit about that on my website. Um, there's well, a I lot can... of easy things. <laughs> you are so. a wealth of knowledge. And, you know, that academic side of you it comes out loud and strong, but the very compassionate side of you also comes out. So I want to ask you, as we end for tonight, um, what is one thing that you want our listening audience to know? It's mostly sex addicts and partners and then clinicians and coaches because they're always looking for more information. What's one thing you'd like them to know about COVID, about uh, numbing behaviors, and about themselves? Well, I think for anybody who's a professional, um, I think you have to take care of yourself and do self-care. I have, and I will say his name, I do have a T-Scott who is a therapist therapist who I still talk to either once a week or every two weeks. Dr. Gitano Vaquero, who works for Blue Tiger, is a psychologist, but through the years I've always had someone. And I think that it is absolutely erroneous for you not to still do your own self-growth. And again, I would invite all of you to take care of yourself physically. Well, you're six, I really like. Um, but when, and to begin to do that, what I want you to know is that you're there to help be a guide for someone who's in pain and to look at people through actually a, a strength-based lens of goodness. So many times people with an addiction do things that are absolutely positively horrendous. And how can we mm. ever, ever, ever um, find goodness? I, I remember I was a young, young social worker, and I had just gotten my LCSW, and that's, I, I was licensed in 1973, and I was so excited. I was going to go work at a place uh, it called, I think it was Casa de Ampero, and it was in a, in a church um, in Oceanside, California. And, I, and it was where they ran groups really for battered women, right? I was so excited right. I was going to help a battered woman, right? Empathetic, nice. Well, guess what? The first group and all the groups gave me were the perpetrators. And I remember Uh walking in. I was little and young and and very cute and very scared. (laughs) I'm sure the sweat was pulling off of me. And and these guys were, you know, some were, were, you know, professionals, but a lot of them, you know, were blue-collar workers and everything. I took one look at them and, you know, this many years ago, I, I was scared to death. And I went, oh, I don't want to be in this room. That was my first reaction. But then somehow or other, like through a God shot, I stopped and I listened. And what I learned was these people had terrible lives. They grew up right. beaten, abused, in alcoholic families. So that may not excuse their behavior, but you could see how they, too, faced adversity and were tortured souls. And, you know, in the wake of um, not to, you know, since everybody in the media has been talking about the last two days, 
think about Will Smith. What kind of adversity did he grow up with to get up and smack someone? You know? Yeah, that was very, very strange. That was very strange. Very, very I want strange. to say your point is adversity causes reactions that are not necessarily compassionate or caring mm-hmm. or empathetic. And so for our listening audience, because we do have to end, I really encourage you to look at allaboutinterventions.com, Dr. Louise's um, amazing website. And, you know, Dr. Louise's last name is Stranger, and no, she's no stranger. It's Stanger. Oh, it isn't stranger? No, I'm not Stranger. I'm Stanger. Oh, well, then she's no Stanger to understanding addiction. And thank you, Dr. Stanger. I really think that this woman is a wealth of knowledge, and she has made herself available through YouTube and also through her blogs. So take a look at that. Make sure to um, get on Amazon and, and look at Addiction in the Family, Helping Families Navigate Challenges, Emotions, and Recovery, um, published in 2020 and a number one bestseller on Amazon. And Louise, I wish you the best, and I look forward to talking to you again. Oh, I can't wait, and thank you so much for what you do and the way that you help others. In fact, just keep doing what you're doing. Keep inspiring change, and for all means, keep following up, Carol. Thank you so much. Oh, thank you. I'm going to use that terminology. I like that. Keep following up. All right. Yes. Louise, thanks for sharing today with us. You take care. Take care. Bye-bye. Bye-bye. Can you believe I got her name wrong? Oh, I hate that when it happens. I am um, <laughs> just a little personal side about me. Um, I, I can't see as well as I used to, and I don't have on my good glasses, so shame on me. I, I really did think that I knew uh, a stranger um, who was a CSAC. So I just put the two and two together and didn't read into that at all. My apologies to Dr. Louise. But do take a look at her book and, of course, her memoir, Falling Up, a memoir of renewal. And we didn't mention that she has the definitive guide to addiction intervention, a collective strategy. And so you can tell she knows her stuff. And I promised you a show this week, even though I was doing IRCOM the Early Recovery Couples Empathy Model Training for 38 people all day Monday, Tuesday, Wednesday, and Thursday with good old Dr. Jake Porter. Um, Just love that man, and he just had a summit and had over 3,000 people attend. It's a free summit for 42 hours, and it's something that you really want to go visit. Tell him I said hello. And I'll see you next week. We've got a lot of people booked. I got on it this week um, so that we could have a show for you every week. I'm leaning into retirement, but I'm making this a priority. So you make it a great day. And as I say every week, 
there will only be one of you at all times, would you fearlessly have the courage to be yourself? We'll catch you more. We'll catch you for more sex help with Carol, the coach. You make it a good one. Okay.